Uh, it is a joy to welcome you to the well and those upstairs who are in the well cafe. My name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here, and we're delighted to have you this weekend as we begin a brand new series. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And by the way, Lindsay's sitting over there. There we go. I'm just helping someone in their seat. Looking for his wife. She's right over there. There we go. There we go. Mark chapter 10, if you don't have your Bible with you, there is a blue Bible in the seat in front of you here in the chapel. Uh, there are also Bibles upstairs if you want to grab one of those. Uh, that's where we're going to be uh, today. We had a great weekend. I hope you had a great weekend. Some of you may have had a candy breakfast this morning. Anybody have Reese's for uh, breakfast this morning? We ended up with an abundance of candy in our house. It was, it was like the five loaves and, you know, it just, it just expanded in our house. We had more candy than when we started with. And we had a great time here last night for Trunk or Treat. For all those who came, I want to show you just a few pictures uh, from last night. Here are your pastors. Isn't that a great shot of us? I tell you what I really love about this picture. Do you notice, do you see Sharon on the side there? Do you see how she's looking up to the senior pastor with such reverence? You see that? Isn't that nice? Let me, let me show you what she was doing. In this next shot, you can see she, she was putting bunny ears on top of me. This is the discipleship pastor. Her role is maturing you as disciples. And there we all are. Uh, we had a great time last night giving out candy and, and uh, seeing the kids. One of our children's staff uh, came up to me in the middle of it, and she said, man, this is going great. And I said, we're giving away free candy. You can't mess this up. I mean, you just, here, kids, go in my trunk. Get some candy. It was a ton and ton of fun. Got to see lots of families and see the kids all dressed up. And for those who came, thanks for coming. If you missed it, come back next year. We look forward to doing it again uh, to bless the, the kids of, of our community. I want to begin this uh, series with an opening conviction, just an idea that I want to establish as the starting point for what we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks. This is a conviction that I have for my life, I have for the life of my family, for the life of, of you and your family, and it's a conviction that I also have for our life together as we think about our church family, and it is simply this, and I invite you to write this down, God has a dream for our lives. That's a conviction that I have, that God has a dream for our lives. God has a vision of what he longs to fulfill in each of us and in our life together, in the life of your family, in the life of your children. God has a vision. God has a dream for you in your life. Uh, and the challenge is living into that vision, living into that dream. So part of what we're doing in this series is just inviting you to think about what that is, what that is for you, for your family, for your children, for your church family. What does it look like for us to live into those dreams that you have for your life? So one of the things that you should have received in the mail this week uh, is this one thing packet. If you didn't get one, please stop by our connecting point after the service. We'd love to make sure that we have your address right just so we can make sure you, you get it in the future, but we'll, we'll also hook you, hook you up with one of these. This outlines for you an understanding of what we think is God's dreams for our church together. And I want to encourage you just to take some time to look through this. You'll see a vision that we believe that God is calling us to. So one of the things that you'll see in here is that we recognize that God is calling us to be a growing church in a growing community. 
we here in the Mansfield community are blessed to serve in a dynamic place where people love to live and more people are coming to live. I was driving down Broad Street the other day and I saw the new cross on the side of the hospital. I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a new cross on the, on the new expansion. And I saw that huge building and I thought, I moved here 10 years ago and that was just opening. I mean, that's just one picture of how our community is expanding and growing. And so we, we understand that God has called us to reach and to bless this community. That's an honor and it's a responsibility. How will we as a church respond to that growth? One of the other things that you'll see in here is that we have the opportunity to be a faith family for the whole family. Things like the hospital and some other resources that have been introduced into our community have enabled our community to expand in terms of the numbers of generations who call Mansfield home. So 10 years ago, when you reached a certain stage in your life, you looked at other places to live in the Metroplex because you needed certain resources. Those are now in our community. And so here in this church, we have the opportunity to be a church that reaches multiple generations, four and five generations of a family, and to serve them and bless them. That is a unique and special opportunity that you have, church to be a church that's for the whole family. We have an opportunity to be a part of a church that is building a better world. And if you've been around here for more than 10 minutes, you know we really believe in this. We want to help transform our local community. We want to change communities around the world. That's one of the things that we believe God is calling us to. We believe God is calling us to be a church that's a, that's a, a faith family that's invested in the next generation. Uh, of not only our kids who are growing up, not only feeding them with candy on Halloween and blessing them in that way, but also empowering them and coming alongside those young men and women who God is calling and shaping and equipping for work in the world and helping those dreams come true in the life of those young people, investing in the next generation, and to be a place where people can share life together. People can not only come and experience a worship service that hopefully is inspiring and a blessing to them, but they can develop relationships, people that are walking alongside them and enabling them to see those dreams come true. That's the dream, the vision that we believe that God has called us to, and God has a dream for your life. God has a dream for your life. That's an absolute conviction. That's the starting point uh, of this entire series. And what we're going to look at is the one thing that often separates us from that dream. And in this scripture that I'm going to read to you, you're going to see that in vivid detail, the one thing that often separates us from that dream. But what we want to do is we want to be uh, real open and honest with one another and say, we want to see those dreams realized, and we want to address together what that one thing is that often separates us from the realization of those dreams. So Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, let me just read this to you. It says, when Jesus, no it doesn't, that's Matthew 8, Mark 10, here we go. Let's see what that is. I'll preach on that next week. Okay, Mark 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, if you've read through them in any detail, you know that Jesus is often asked questions. This is something that happens all the time. People come to Jesus with their questions. And there's really two kinds of questions that Jesus is asked. The first kind of question is someone who comes to Jesus, an adversary of Jesus who comes to ask him a 
trick question, if you will. Someone who comes to, uh, in order to trip Jesus up, to, uh, to break his stride, if you will, while he's teaching a, a crowd. This happens again and again where someone comes uh, with a question that's not a sincere question. It's a question that's meant to trip Jesus up. And then the other category, of course, are those who come with sincere questions. They want to know. These are people who may not fully understand who Jesus is, but they are at least leaning into the idea that this guy has something to say to them in their life. And there's a few clues here in this opening verse about what this exchange is. First, the guy runs to Jesus. There's an urgency to this question that he has. The second thing is that he actually falls on his knees before Jesus. He adopts the posture of humility and submission and asks of Jesus, Jesus, Answer for me this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, this is how Jesus responds. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Which seems a little strange when you're reading through this, like, what, what is... And there's an irony here, right? Because Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. And I think the irony is intentional. Jesus is inviting this guy to see him as something more than just a good teacher. But here's how he addresses the question. He says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud and honor your father and mother. And then verse 20, this is how the man responds. He says, teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. So let's just think about what's happening here in this text. We have a guy who's come to Jesus. There's an urgency to this question. He really really wants to know the answer. He has presented himself to Jesus, falling on his knees in a way of saying, Jesus, I'm here to learn from you. I'm, I'm here to be inspired by you. I, I'm here to, to hear you address this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking, in other words, for the standard. Jesus, can you set the bar for me? What, what is it that I need to clear if I want to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And the guy says, hey, I'm doing all those things. I have done all those things since I was a boy. So I want you, before we go forward, I want you just to pause and to feel the sense of anticipation on behalf of this man. He's come to Jesus and he says, okay, exactly how high do I have to jump? And Jesus says, right about here. And the guy says, I think I can do that. I've been doing that for quite some time. I think I can do what you are asking me to do. So he is ready for Jesus to say, wow. You've done well. I think you're already in. This is so good. He's just waiting to hear that from Jesus. And then this is how Jesus responds. Uh, verse, verse 21, first listen to how Mark describes this, uh, Jesus's, how he responds to him. It says, Jesus looked at him. So there's this pause as he looks at him. <laughs> and the guy's like, ah. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now the Greek word there is a form of agape, okay? So the the what you want to hear from this is that not only did Jesus love him, but he, he valued him. He felt genuine concern for him. Jesus, out of love, says to him this, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. Now, let me just show you what that looks like, okay? If you're not just in the text with me, it, it looks like this. It goes from, oh, that's, are you just, 
Oh, his face fell, and it says he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, before we unpack this, I want to make sure that we're, we're all on the same page about something, about a dynamic that we see in this text, and we all understand it. We all agree with it. I, I want you to see that, that, that we all know where this story is going. I mean, I mean you've pro- you probably have some sense of what this book is about. You didn't just wander in today, like, I wonder what this building is. Like, you're here for a reason, You are like this man, at least leaning into the idea that this man, Jesus, has something to say to you in your life. We're all on the same page. We we know who Jesus is. We know that this man who had this really sincere question, we know that he's actually brought it to the right place. He's brought it to Jesus, the one person who can actually answer that question for him. And yet none of us, none of us here is confused about why he walked away. Like none of us is sitting here thinking, well, I would have sold everything and followed Jesus. I don't know what's wrong with this guy, right? I mean, if your desire in coming here this morning was just to dress up in this nice spiritual image that says, oh man, whatever Jesus asked, I'm in. Let's just set that aside for a moment, okay? And let's just be honest with one another and say that we are all in the same boat on this. I mean, if next week I said, hey, guys, guess what? I have this amazing guest speaker. I had no idea he was free, but Jesus is going to preach next week. You'd probably all show up, right? And be like, wow, they got Jesus at First Methodist Mansfield. We've got to go hear him. (laughs) But if Jesus came and the essence of his message was First Methodist Mansfield, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go flood eBay this week. I want you to put everything online. I want you to sell everything. You would all smile and shake his hand as he left, as you left, and none of you would come back next week, right? You wouldn't. Can we just be honest about that? That even though we know where this story is going, we know who Jesus is, none of us is confused about why he walked away. None of us would say, well, I don't No, we understand the challenge of what Jesus is offering to this man. I know some of you, I was reading, when I started reading this, I got a few verses into it. You were like, oh, I know this story. Oh, no, this is the part where Jesus says, I have to sell everything. And maybe you like felt yourself getting anxious because you've wondered, is this really the standard? I mean, is this really what Jesus requires of me? Because, man, I'm leaning into this and I like this, but I don't know about that. I'm not sure I want to go that far. And maybe you've wondered the question, is this a general prescription? Is this what Jesus is saying that we should all do? Well, let me just set your mind at ease and tell you, I don't think this is a general prescription for you. So everybody, oh, yeah, this is not, this is not a ge- But let me tell you what this is. Uh, this is Jesus addressing an issue in this man's life. Now, when you look at the scriptures, one of the things that you'll see is that Jesus often speaks in hyperbole, and a hyperbole is an intentional exaggeration, okay? So, so let me give you an example of this. Parents, this, this would be an example of, of hyperbole. If you do that again, you are grounded for the rest of your life. That's hyperbole, okay? You're not actually going to ground the child for the rest of their, well, if you are, you need help. But anyway, you're not going to do that. But it is an intentional exaggeration in order to make a point. This is an example of hyperbole. But it is also Jesus 
knowing this man, remember he loved him. And the love of God in our life is based on his full knowledge of who we are. He loved him and knowing him, here's what Jesus is essentially saying to him. There's an issue. There's an issue for you. There is a wall that you have built in your life. And that wall says, Jesus, you can be Lord of this part of my life, but not this part of my life. And this teaching is Jesus essentially saying, okay, here's the deal. If you want to follow me, we're going to have to take this wall down brick by brick. Because I can't be Lord of just part of your life. I've got to be Lord of all of your life. And so he offers to him this prescription, knowing his heart and his life and seeing within him the wall that he had built that was separating him from the fulfillment of God's dreams in his life. So what's the one thing for him? And what's the one thing often for us? We, we would say it this way, that, that God wants us to live an abundantly generous life. That's part of God's dream for your life, is that you would learn to live an abundantly generous life. That's the challenge and the, and the call of discipleship that often just hits us right between the eyes and we think, oh my gosh, can I really do that? And so what we're looking at in this series in addressing that one thing, again, that often separates you from God's dreams in your life, from, from the dreams that God has for our life together, is we want to talk about what does it look like as people to live into that vision. So we're talking about the vision to see the dream, the courage to take a chance. That's next week. And then the final week, we'll talk about the faith to follow God's lead. So here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about that vision. What is, it the vision what is the vision that we have to have of our lives if we're going to live into this understanding of an abundantly generous life? And these are three things that I want to share with you that when I sit down and talk with people who are living this out in their life, this is what they understand. This is the mind shift that they have made that has enabled them to step into, to take down that wall brick by brick and say, Jesus, you can be Lord of all of my life. Here's a few things that I have heard from them, I've experienced in my own life about how we step into this dream. Here's the first thing. Generosity is not what God wants from me, but for me. Generosity is not what God wants from me, but for me. So again, I have two kids at home, an 11-year-old and a 7-year-old. And the seven-year-old is going through a phase where any time mom or dad gives him instruction or direction or we set up some boundaries, we say, we're not going to do this, we're going to go to this, he is at that stage where he is making wild assumptions about the intent that mom and dad have in giving him those directions. So he responds with something like this, why won't you do what I want? Why don't you love me? Why can't I have what I want? Why can't I do things my way? Or, or maybe sometimes when he gets really upset, he'll say, you're just being mean. Through tears. You're just being mean. And when, so when the other parent comes in and tries to calm him down a little bit, he'll say, mom's just being mean. And I'll say, I know, it's okay. You know, no, I don't say that. I don't say that. You're just being mean. And that's just where he is in his life, right? He's at that point in his life where as he processes boundaries, that's how he feels about him. That's just mean. You shouldn't give me boundaries. You shouldn't give me discipline. You shouldn't redirect me. That's how a seven-year-old thinks. Maybe you can remember thinking that way. Maybe you can remember during those teenage years of your life 
as you were breaking away from the home, maybe you had some tension in your home between you and mom or, or dad. I don't know. Maybe I'm only speaking to a few people here, but maybe there was some of that in your life. Maybe, maybe you found yourself verbalizing to your parents, why don't you trust me? Why don't you just, well, why can't you let me make that decision? Why, 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 when are you going to let me live my life? When are you going to let me do what I want to do? And maybe, just maybe, you heard this from your mom or dad. Maybe you heard them say, as long as you live under my roof. Some of you have said that to your own kids. And, and when you did, you went, oh, there it is. Because from the perspective of today, you feel differently about that stage in your life, don't you? I mean, from the perspective of the day, there are some people here who you wish your parents would have given you some more boundaries. Because you recognize that some of the pain that you've walked through in your life is because your parents didn't do what they should have done out of love and said, no, this is not the way to go. From the perspective of today, you recognize that you just see that differently. You see that not as your parents trying to suck the fun out of your life, but as rather their loving response because they wanted the best for you and they wanted you to grow. Now, what changed? What moved you to the point where you see that differently? Well, it's a really important word. It's called maturity. It's what you didn't have back then. You thought you did, but you didn't, right? It's, it's about being matured and growing to the point where you see things from a, from a different perspective. You've matured in your life, and you recognize that this wasn't something that your parents wanted from you, but it was something they wanted for you. This scripture is not going to be new to you. I've preached on it just in the last few weeks. No discipline, this is Hebrews 12, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. We can all say amen. I mean, we love disciplining others, but when it happens for us, it's never pleasant, but painful, Hebrews says. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. When we submit ourselves to that, there's a fruit. The fruit is righteousness. The fruit is, is growth. Here, here's how we might say this, and you might write this down. God doesn't need your money. That's an important mind shift, again, that generous people understand. God doesn't, you know why he doesn't need your money? Because he is almighty God. He is the creator of all things. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one who is above all do you know why you turn to him when everything else in life is falling apart? Because you believe that. You believe that he is almighty God. And when there's nowhere else you can turn, you can turn to him. And so you turn to others and you say, would you pray for this situation? Would you join me in turning to the father and asking him for his providence, his provision in this situation in my life? Because we believe that God is almighty God. God doesn't need your money. Here's why. Because you do not have any money. Now, some of you are thinking that is the first thing you've said that I agree with. You do not have any money. And that's not a statement based on your bank account. That is a mind shift about how you see your life. And generous people totally get this. 
they totally get this. Whenever I sit down with someone who I know is living a generous life, and I will often ask them this question, how did you learn that? What's the, what's the shift that you made there? That, and, and they will say something like this, I began to understand that nothing belongs to me. James says it this way, every good and perfect gift comes from above. All of life is grace. All of life is grace. You woke up this morning and you took a breath. Where'd you get that breath of life? Where'd that come from? Did you invent that? Did you create that? No, that's a gift from God. Everything in your life is a gift from God. It doesn't belong to you. Nothing belongs to you. Rather, you are given the honor of sharing life, of receiving this gift, and you are also given the choice. The most loving gift that God could ever give us is the choice. What are you going to do with your life? You get to choose. What are you going to do with your life that I have given to you? None of it belongs to us. It belongs to God. What's the, what is the harvest of righteousness that is produced in our life? Here's the second thought. You are never more like Jesus than when you are being generous. That's who Jesus is. That is who Jesus is. Uh, some of you are in the deeper small groups and you heard me say in the video teaching this week that if I'm convinced that if any of us had the chance to spend the day with Jesus, like you wake up and that's the day, you're going to get to walk around with Jesus today. I'm convinced at the end of that day, the thing that would be most amazing to us would be his generosity. I think we'd see it in a, in a variety of different ways, but that I think would be the most amazing thing about Jesus. If you want to be a follower of Jesus... Jesus was the most generous person that ever lived. Jesus was the one who came to lay down his life for us. John says the only reason that we know what love is is because of what Jesus has done. Jesus provided the, uh, the picture of what that looks like. And we, we connect with God and we connect with Jesus in the act of That's why the act of generosity is a miracle. That's why it's supernatural. That's why it's transformational. That's why it will take you from where you are into a place that you never thought you would. That's why it does in us what nothing else can do in us because we connect ourselves directly with the heart of God when we are generous. That's that little feeling that you get whenever you step outside of yourself, you move yourself off of the center stage of your life and you look to the needs of others is because you are connecting with the heart of God. That's who God is. Here's the last thing. The rewards are always greater than the sacrifice. The rewards are always greater than the sacrifice. So go back with me, if you will, to this idea of we're all in the same boat, okay? I want us to land there, this idea that we're all in the same boat. All of us know the rest of the story. All of us know that this question that this man came seeking the answer for, we know that he came to the right spot. He came to Jesus, the only one who could really answer this question. We know that, and yet none of us is confused about why he walked away. None of us is confused. We all know what a difficult challenge this man was given. And so we feel, as the scripture says, we also feel the sadness of this moment because we recognize that he got so close. He was right there and he walked away. And maybe in your mind, you have even questioned, is it possible that I could get so close? 
and walk away. If that's you, here's what I want you to hear. You're in good company. You're in good company because we all feel that. We all know that. We all understand the challenge. And I think we all believe this. I think every single one of you, if you're leaning into the idea of of, of Jesus being the Son of God who's come to, to set your life, I think you already understand the statement that the rewards are better than the sacrifice are greater than the sacrifice. And yet, even for those of us who have been faithful in practicing generosity, we know the allure of wealth. And we know that voice of the evil one that speaks into us that says, you're not enough unless you have this. And we know how easily we get distracted from the main thing and get pulled into seeing other things in our life fulfilling us and satisfying us. When I was 19 years old, I was a part of a campus ministry uh, at A&M, and one of the things that my campus minister was really firm on with us was generosity. And I think one of the reasons that he was is because he was talking to college students who had nothing. We had nothing. We ate ramen noodles. We had nothing. But he knew that we were people who would one day have something. And so he wanted to help us learn at nothing what it meant to be faithful when we had something. And I can remember when I started working for him, he called me into his office and he set me down and he said, David, if you feel called to be a pastor, there is one thing that you have to learn how to do in your life. See, because if you can't do this one thing, then you will have no authority to lead any congregation. And of course, I'm like, what is it? You know, what do I need to do? He said, you have to learn to tithe. And I knew what that was. I mean, I had grown up in the church. I knew what that was. He said, but you've got to learn how to do this. You've got to learn this principle, the first fruit of when you receive to take a portion, to take 10% and to give it away. You have to learn that now. And so at 19 years old, when I would get my $300 paycheck, I would walk from where I worked next door, which was the bank. Very convenient. I would walk to the bank next door. I would put that, uh, I would take that check to that teller, and I would say, I need 30 bucks back. Put 270 in my account. And then I would walk back to the ministry that I served, and, and the lady who had just given me my paycheck about 10 minutes earlier, I'd give her 30 bucks back. That's how I learned to tithe. And from that point on in my life, that's what we've done. And you know what? It's been so simple. Because I never had to learn how to stop spending God's money. (laughs) Never had to learn that. But here's what I want you to hear. That doesn't mean I don't know the allure of wealth. That doesn't mean that I don't walk into my friend's house and go, that deep. That doesn't mean I don't know the voice of the evil one that says, David, settle for something less. I want you to hear this. We are all in the same boat. So let me land here. 
Hebrews 3 says this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. This is the writer referring back to the Israelites in the Old Testament times. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. In other words, make sure on behalf of the people that you share life with, your family, your brothers and sisters, make sure that nobody gets right up there to the last step and walks away. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another daily. This is where I want us to land today. I want you, I want, I want you to hear this. We're all in the same boat. We all know why the man walked away. We all know in our own life how easy it would be to get one step away and to say, this is, I don't know. And so let's encourage one another to see the vision and the dream of what God's life really is. And to think about what it might look like to see that dream fulfilled in your life and in our life together. Let me pray for you. Loving God, I give you thanks for these people who are here today. And I give you thanks, Lord, for the way in which their life is now different because of you for the way in which their family is different, their workplace is different, their relationships are different because they have leaned into this idea that this life you have invited us to, there's something to it. It's not easy, but it is the best way to live. And so, God, I pray for me, I pray for every person here, Lord, that you would help us not to, to come up that one step short but rather to lean all the way in and to invite you to be Lord of our entire lives so that we can see the fullness of your vision realized so that we can experience your dreams coming true. Help us, Lord, to join hands, not in isolation, but together to lean in and to trust you with our entire lives and in that, Lord, to have the tremendous opportunity of seeing your glory and knowing that our entire life is safe and secure when we give everything to you. Tear down those walls, Lord, brick by brick. Help us to see what the fullness of your vision looks like. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.